get my pen to write down the time of when we're starting. Welcome back to the MM Cast, Mash the Modern Podcast. I am your spooky boy, Cass S. Pumpkins, uh, known as Alex Kessler. We're here with my co-host, uh, dancing skeleton, Ben Bateman. New spooky. We're not even there. We're not at the, the dumb voices, the Halloween voices. That'll come later. This yeah, is like yeah. preview time. This yeah. is preview time. This is Innistrad. We're going to Innistrad. Uh, it's its own thing. Uh, that's another Davis S. Pumpkins reference. Uh, but uh, I'm super hyped. We just got a bunch of information today uh, from what the mechanics are going to be, what's going on with Midnight Hunt. Not not anything from the second one. I think it's not the Sacred Vow, but uh, the Vampire Wedding set that comes immediately afterwards. One of us should look that up of what it's called. Um, and we got a bunch of mechanics, and just like it reminded me of how much I love. Like absolutely adore Innistrad. I think, I think, and in fact, the name of this episode uh, that you're seeing both in the thumbnail and below me is uh, going to be Innistrad is the best magic plane of all time and it's not close. <laughs> I mean, it's also, well, there's a lot of, first of all, it's called Innistrad Crimson Vow is the one you're talking about yeah, where yeah. it looks like Liliana is probably marrying no, Soren. No, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's Olivia is oh, marrying, sorry, yeah. marrying a Markov. Uh, there is, yeah. it, well, we're going to talk about that in a second, but heavy debate on which Markov, but we'll get there. I in meant a to say, I meant to say Olivia, but yeah. yes, that is what it looks like on the packaging that we've seen so far. Um, but getting back to your point a second ago about Instrad being the best plane, couldn't agree more. There are a couple that are close for me that I really like. There are a few planes that I think are, that hold a candle that I think we've seen enough depth and I enjoy the design a lot. But when it comes to magic and what magic is and was supposed to be, I think that Innistrad is the closest thing to the original Dungeons and Dragons vibe while still doing something entirely different. The horror, the, like thematic stuff where you still can have demons and you can have ghouls and you can have zombies and you can have vampires and you can have all these cool creatures that feel like it almost feels like everything significant that you could ever want out of magic actually fits comfortably into an Innistrad design. Because if you tell me that you have like spooky, creepy elves or you have spooky, creepy merfolk or like literally anything, I go, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Give me some horror theme with like blood dripping on the windows of literally any of that. And it works for me. Even though none of those. Yeah, it's interesting because like elves, merfolk, because I would say it's pretty far from D&D in the sense of creature types, right? There's no goblins on Innistrad. There's no merfolk there's no elves like other than vampires and zombies like it's missing a lot of those key like creature types and great (laughs) i think i think what i mean when i say that because yes correct i mean my point in saying that was it exists in its own world it is fully its own world but it's that world that you're living in that does feel like it's so adjacent and fits so well alongside the originally Mm -hmm. the original magic mythos that's why i think it works so well it doesn't feel like I'm playing in this new world, this bionic world or this Blade Runner world for a set, and I'm going to see how I like it. It feels like I'm still doing Magic's core thing, but in a totally different way. And each time mm-hmm. they go back to it, it feels like they build on that. Right. It, like nothing on Ixalan couldn't be on Dominaria. Yes. Nothing correct. Nothing on uh, even Mirrodin really couldn't be on Dominaria. Nothing on. I mean, like it'd have to be like a. Pre, it'd have to be like the future of Dominaria. That one's maybe the most different, though. Also based on a lot of Dominaria-based mythos, right? They're pretty integrally linked. So, like, I agree. Domin like like Innistrad has its own vibe. It's its own thing. It's totally different than other worlds. I also just like like like. It's cool. Zombies and vampires. There's a reason that like this stuff is so transcendent across so many genres that like it just keeps hitting well. And like, yeah, I guess I guess you're saying like other sets that come close. Ravnica is the closest. 
Yeah, Ravnica's got a lot of depth. I feel like we've and and but the thing that's interesting about this is that I wonder when we start to get into our second and because compare Ravnica City of Guilds and Ravnica Block to Innistrad Block, and that's one conversation. But the full breadth of multiple blocks and going back there and what's happened, I think, is a different conversation. Because the first time you get any magic set, it's a very different experience than when you go back. Um, like, for instance, Battle for Zendikar is like a... It's like hard for me to even remember the set in a lot of ways compared to how I feel about the original Zendikar. Because it's such a fail compared to the original Zendikar, in my opinion. Right. Um, well, you I, know... Yeah, sorry, continue. So I do think that like Ravnica's close. I think some of that metallic site, like cybernetic sunbursty stuff that that Mirrodin and the New Phyrexia and all those sets did, that's really fun. I really like that stuff a lot. When they do a good job with that stuff, it's some of the most satisfying. I think um, for me, that's probably the closest is, is the Mirrodin stuff. Yeah, Mirrodin's really cool. Yeah, I think like contenders are Zendikar, Mirrodin, Ravnica, and Estrad, Theros. The ones that have major returns. I, I think there's some sets that if we got good returns of them could be up there. Like Khans or like Tarkir to me is up there as like one of my favorite locations. Ikoria could be in the future if we go back a few times. But like, I don't know, like Innistrad, like, and some of its power level, like we're going to go over in a bit just like the gluttony of powerful, like all time best cards all come from this 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 plane but i like like the stories i know people like really didn't click a lot like there's a, there's a chunk of people that like really adversely clicked with shadows over Innistrad, but i think that's like one of my favorite story blocks of all time like and i'm not a body horror person like it, it, like that that part does get rough i think the scariest thing that's ever happened in magic is brazilla uh the story where that happens is like terrifying but like on the other hand like that mystery and the way that buildup happened and like Emrakul being the like big reveal at the end of that set mm -hmm. and the Heeries revenge storyline was so cool that like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And just like, and I'm excited to see what they do next. I'm like, there's a reason that there's so much stuff to do on Innistrad. What's wild to me about what's about to happen is that when Innistrad was first pitched, no one believed it would work. That's the reason that Innistrad only had two sets and then Avacyn Restored was this kind of soft reboot in the middle of the block was that they didn't think there was enough depth to like horror tropes hmm. in, so to bring in the magic. And now two revisits later, there's so much stuff that they want to do that we're going to get a double... We're getting two sets. They're they're doing both the Crimson Vow and Midnight Haunt because they realize that there's like two entire sets worth of content that they like couldn't just hold into one set, which I think is like kind of proof of pudding of like how great it is. Like it's it's a deeper well than they even thought it was. And you can see that like the fact that it is like the vampire aristocrat plane it's the it's the witches and ghosts and zombies plane it's the werewolf plane like the just the fall vibes of werewolves versus witches that it already looks like we're getting out of midnight haunt is super cool it is okay so so that's interesting you bring that up because if this is going to be a quick sort of comp but earlier today when we're recording this the trailer for wheel of time came out and it's very reminiscent of Game of Thrones, which is very reminiscent in a lot of ways to Lord of the Rings. And the, the, these are all the classic. This stuff feels like it's much closer to the D&D original magic design. But then you also have the, the sort of YA trends that pick up every few years of vampires and werewolves and zombies and various different shows uh, and things that play in that world. Now, True Blood versus Underworld versus Twilight versus, yeah. Yes, they're distinctly two different feels, but they're both very trendy and both very popular in their own way. And they cycle in and out of being like the thing in the zeitgeist at that moment. If you had to compare those two vibes, 
spooky pumpkins versus swords and dragons which do you like better spooky pumpkins 100% and it's not even close if you take uh, all of the history of all of it so like 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 spooky pumpkins is weird right cuz like spooky pumpkins to me also includes stranger things and it includes yeah. uh like scream and it includes nightmare before christmas like when you get all of that in spooky pumpkins if you're just talking like YA fantasy vampires werewolves genre versus all of the other fantasy than all of other fantasy right like I'd rather like have Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings than than Twilight or Underworld or sure like Underworld's underrated but like Underworld and True Blood but like the because you also get all the zombie like you get Walking Dead but you also get like all of the other good zombie content out there I don't know there's like a lot of good I think, well, I mean, the, the biggest difference between the two of them that is by and large, one of them plays usually in a contemporary space where you have contemporary characters fending off of horrors. And the other one usually plays in some medieval sort of space where it's a different world. And, you know, you're drinking stew right. and mead. Uh, it's, it's surprising how little urban fantasy has become popular. Like True Blood and, and Twilight are kind of some of the best examples where it's like. Yeah, like like the there there isn't a lot of. Because in in literature, there's a lot, right? There's there's some pretty good book series of modern day, like noir detectives hunting down f- vampires and fairies, yeah. and like and like uh, uh like fairy gangsters or elf whatevers. There's like that like really bad uh, Will Smith movie on Netflix written by that uh who uh, the guy oh, right. uh, that sucks uh Max Landis yeah Bright, Max Landis. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 an interesting thing that like that has never really happened. But fantasy from the Innistrad perspective brought into modern day times is like everywhere. I think part of that is holiday focused. There's like a yearly moment where Halloween happens and that's when spooky stuff comes out and it's often layered into modern day times versus there's not like Christmas is the closest to fantasy, classic fantasy, like where like elves are in Christmas, right? Like they're a different type of elf, but like magic and all that stuff in modern day times the closest i can think of is christmas and as a holiday but all of this to say it gets us back to the initial conversation of why was innistrad so popular and i think the reason probably it was so popular is because when it catches when that thing we're talking about catches it's extremely uh it's extremely marketable and it's it's close to people's hearts people really buy into it so i think that I also think one thing we're not acknowledging, and this is very important, and we'll talk about this because we're going to preview some cards here in a second, is that I think the design of the original Innistrad set of the first correct, one, more so even than Dark Ascension, but the design of the first Innistrad set is some of the most fun, most elegant design that Magic has ever had. Like you, uh, you talk a, about the yeah. quality of like just just a card like Bloodline Keeper, which is such a bomb and limited that became obviously a very played card in Commander, but like. Just like the design of the card Bloodline Keeper. It's such a fun, it's such a fun, cool magic card. It represents what it's trying to do so well. Or spider spawning. Like right. those are cards that just feel awesome to play. I think I think one of the reasons is that it is a relatively untapped in gameplay mechanical space that's super resonant. Right. There's like a ton. Of, now there's like a bunch of like zombie games and stuff, but there's like it it's very easy to tell stories in games that resonate with horror genre tropes. Uh, versus other stuff that exists that you can bring in. So I think that that's part of it. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree. I think part of the reason Innistrad is one of the best plans in the world is that that first set kicked it out of the park. There's not that much story to the original Innistrad block, right? It's like Liliana is living there. 
uh, decides that like, oh, stuff is bad, and I would l- and finds out that they're her like one of her demon contractors is in the hell vault, and she's like, oh, I'll, I just had to get someone who believes in this to open it. Thalia, I'm gonna murder all these people unless you open it. Thalia opens it. Grizzlebrand and all the angels like Avacyn are in there, and Nahiri is in there, and that's the set. Right, like it, it's not like the groundbreaking story. Like the, compared to other stories, compared to the Shadows of Innistrad story, it's like nothing happens. But the world is so cool, and the mechanics are so cool, and flashback is like such an integral part in the madness following that, which I think are two of the best like mechanics with ma- Magic has made. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, it's like a perfect amalgamation of vibe, mechanic, draft limited format, story, world, characters, tribes. Yeah. 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 I also think that, you know, there, there to me, there's sort of three pieces of, of understanding and appreciating magic flavor. There's the person who just reads the cards and has no attachment to the pictures to any of it. It's just like this card is worth this many points. There's the middle, which is, I think, kind of more like where I am, which is I do like when cards feel a certain way or interactions feel a certain way. There's a cleverness to that stuff that attracts me to the game. The art attracts me to the game. Um, I like in limited formats or, or in modern play, getting to play. Uh, a tribe or something like that like i do relate to that and then there's the people who are very aware of the story and they like what you just talked about like I, we've talked about story plenty of times we we have actually on this show and and you i i know more about magic story now than i ever would have if we hadn't done a podcast about it because i never paid attention to that stuff mm-hmm. but but like it is a resonant part of the game for you and many other people where knowing what the cards represent and how they play into the greater novel that you're playing at reading you're actually in that story is important and i do think that Innistrad's one of the most successful sets ever for that middle category, where it achieves attracting me to some part of the flavor of the game without needing to read a story. I just like the cards. They're cool. They look cool. They feel cool. Uh, speaking of which, and we're going to get to the next subject matter, but before we do, uh, we are at the part of every podcast where we uh, are going to make you do some trivia. Uh, so the way this works is a nice weekly game of MMCast trivia. Uh, basically, what you're betting is a like. If uh, I'm going to ask a question. Ben is going to try answering it. Uh, if he gets it, it and you are going to try answering the time he takes to answer it. Uh, if you get it right, uh, you don't have to do anything. You win. Congratulations. And the way you get you guess is you have to comment below. So you comment your answer below. And then if it's right, you're good. Don't worry about it. If you're wrong, you have to hit that like button. If you got it right and you want to hit that like button, we appreciate it. But if you get it wrong and you just don't know the answer, sorry, you have to hit the like button. That's the rules. By listening to me say this out loud to you, you've signed up for it. Too bad. <laughs> uh, and that's how this is going to work. Uh, and so, Ben. Yes. On the card, Imprisoned in the Moon, uh, which if you don't know, it's two blue enchantment aura, enchant creature, lander, planeswalker. Enchant permanent is a colorless land with tap, add colorless to your mana pool and loses all other abilities and types, all, lose all other card types and abilities. It is representing Emrakul being locked in the moon. Two okay. planeswalkers are doing that. Two of the planeswalkers in the magic story are locking Emrakul into the moon. One of them is Tamio, who is the second. In the artwork. Oh, jeez. Um, imprisoned in the moon. So this isn't a Innistrad set. This is a, this that's, was the major finale moment to uh, Eldritch Moon, the second set in Shadows Over Innistrad. This is like yeah, the big ending. That sounds about right. Um, I'm going to ask for my one. Repeat the question. In the card art for Imprisoned in the Moon. Okay. which depicts the very finale moment of Emrakul being locked in the moon on the end of Eldritch Moon, Shadows Over and Sinister Block. Two planeswalkers are being shown in the artwork 
pointing Emrakul into the moon. One of them is Tamio. The other one is whom? <sighs> Who's the other planeswalker in Eldritch Moon? You got three mana, three color Tamio. You got like, is it? Is it Liliana? Nope. Is it Arlen Cord? Nope. <laughs> uh, this is a little right. bit of a trick question because I do not believe this Planeswalker shows up in either set or has not shown up on an Innistrad set in Venser? as a card. No. Doesn't Venser die somewhere around there? Venser dies uh, at the end of uh, New Phyrexia. In, in New Phyrexia. He teleports his heart into Karn's chest along with his spark to save him. Who's the one that gets ripped? Oh, Gideon? He gets ripped apart? No, no, no. It's, it's, you want me to just tell you the answer? Yes. It's Nissa. <laughs> oh, man. I thought, I kind of thought Nissa for a second, but I was like, that's just the wrong set. That's nowhere near. Mm-hmm. It's when the Gatewatch was doing stuff. So, like, Gatewatch yeah. members would be on sets, but not necessarily. It's her, like, it's her symbol on the moon. She's, like, using her, like, ties to the land to be able to put something inside of a, a, a celestial body, as Tommy was using book magic. All right, magic. guys. Well, I have, to apo- I have to apologize for whiffing on that one. If you guys knew it, uh, good mm-hmm. for you, and I hope your comment's right. If you didn't hit that like button, that trivia segment brought to you this week by TCG Player and tcg player you guys can find we actually have a code you guys can get cards at tcg player they're an awesome partner here at the podcast Just click so the be link sure below. to click the link below if you do want to get some cards if you have a you know pre-order set or if you honestly just want to build a deck or something like that um it's very helpful for us if you use that affiliate code so thanks for watching thanks for listening to the show every single week and i apologize for missing that trivia question you don't have to apologize i'm trying to come up with stuff that would stump you and that was story related and innistrad related it was it was a hard one i wasn't i was i wasn't Firing off with the easy trivia questions. If you got it right, like hats off, because that was that's a little bit more. It's a deep cut. It's it's a it famous like card though. It's like the equivalent of when I spin family films in the Schmodown, and I'm like, <laughs> ah, I'm never gonna get this. Like maybe there's a story question I'll get right, but it's it's that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next thing we want to talk about uh, today is one of the reasons that I think Innistrad is as resonant as it is and as big of a deal as it is is power level. Right. This these these four sets collectively or five sets collectively have contributed such a high level of playable modern cards uh, that I was astounded uh, when I was like reading through it. And like, I think the worst card I have on this list, maybe it's Vexing Devil. Maybe it's Invisible Stalker. That's kind mm. of like the bottom of the barrel. And even if you got rid of like a few of those and just like things that I know for a fact have like top eight at a tournament, you're at 60 total cards and i've definitely missed some so i have 62 here uh 60 total cards of modern staples (laughs) so these are like like the fact that they had such a large influence on this format is kind of astounding and we're not even taught like like not all of these cards like it's deep right like yes you have snapcaster mage and you have liliana the veil right like those are obvious like staples but like a lot of sets have cards at that level but like Faithless Looting, Grave Crawler, Champion of the Parish, Blood Artist, Duskwatch Recruiter, like even Mayor of Averbrook has top aided magic tournaments when it was in humans. Thalia Thalia. Thalia, like in contention to being better than Stoneforge Mystic, is from this set. Thing in the Ice, Geist of Saint Traft, Laboratory Maniac, 
Prize de Malgram, Spell Coiler. Like, I can just keep going. Tyler's Tracker, <laughs> Master of the Fells, Restoration Angel, um, Bedlam Reveler, Crater Hope Behemoth, and then like Grizzle Brand and Emrakul, right? Like, these are like. <laughs> <laughs> you just, just, just capping it off with like basically the two best resurrection targets ever. Uh, well, or cheat, cheat into play win targets, I should say. Emrakul the Emrakul's... Promised End, not Emrakul uh, the Aeon oh, Storm. Oh, yeah, 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 good call. Because that's, that's Eldraza. Yeah, but yeah. like still, like a, a, a card that sees play. Like this, this, this list is, when I like was going through it, I was like, oh yeah, like every flashback card comes in modern comes from Innistrad. <laughs> There's like well, also, two. Did you mention, did you mention like Grim Flare and also the second Liliana, right? Oh, the, well, I skipped a bunch of cards. Like, Insolent Neonite, Mausoleum Warbirth, Thraven Inspector, Vexing Devil, like Grim Flare, uh, yeah. Rattle Change, Selfless Spirit, uh, Thalia's Lieutenant, Field Hunter, Jeros Messenger. I'm just now listing every card I have here. Tireless Tracker, Village Bing Ring, uh, Bell Ringer, Haunted Dead, Huntmaster of the Fells, Sigarda, Zealous Conscript, Bedlam Reveler. Uh, I miss the days when, I miss the days when Huntmaster was just like, the card that card was so sweet yeah. that's and like sorry, one of my, it's got one of my favorite magic cards it's still like time. 10 bucks right uh and by yeah. the way that was just the creatures we haven't talked about spells like faithless looting gold collars bell graft digger's cage thought scour traverse the uvenwald collected brutality intangible virtue stony silence eldritch evolution not to the bone liliana the last hope lingering souls dehiri the harbinger pass in flames soren lord of innistrad the other soren umbeo rights terminus and then the lands of cavern of souls desolate lighthouse and gavany township jeez (laughs) it's that's insane i mean like that's that's so many like significant cards i've played almost almost every single card you just named is in my was like in my highlander 600 yeah they're almost all in there yeah yeah like i like like and like i skipped like weird edh cards right because there's like like I didn't talk about Deadeye Navigator or the Gitrog Monster or Mercaeus or Avacyn or Heartless Summoning or like Rune Chanter's Pike, Anguished Unmaking, <laughs> Parallel Lives, like just the value of owning cards. Blasphemous Act is from this set. The most yeah. played red board wipe of all time. So sweet. Well, uh, yeah, 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 it is. I'm going to stick to that statement. Like. And then it gets farther. Like you have like stuff like Harvest Pyre that seemed like play maybe a couple times is like a cool Boros Reckoner combo. Like there's, it's wild. It's wild when I was going through these sets. Like ignore the limited format. Ignore the vibe. If you want to talk purely about your pro tour loving, numbers are the only thing that matter. And I care about the stats of every card. Innistrad is one of the heaviest hitter worlds in Magic. Like now some sets that are really popular are hurt here, right? Because the problem with, the Ravnica sets is gold cards are more limited, but we did when we were doing our top 10 gold cards until Edgelich Moon, most of them sucked. Yeah. <laughs> there was like three good ones from all of Return to Ravnica and Rager Ravnica, even including like Golgari. Like, yeah, it, it was wild when we were doing that. There was like, oh yeah, there's like not that many at best. You could do a top five. That's like an actual without like a, with a serious face. And then like, do you think that, sorry, just yeah. non sequitur that relates to this idea? You and I have done this show together now for seven years, I think. Mm-hmm. I think we started at the end of 2014, the fall of 2014. So yeah, we're, we're hitting seven years pretty soon. Um, and the first two years had a lot of top 10 lists. We did like a whole bunch of top 10 green cards, top 10 blue cards, all that, that type of stuff, right? And we would do like top 10 creatures sometimes. But it's been so many years since we've done that. And we had that whole episode like two weeks ago about so much of the powerful stuff now in modern has been printed in the last two years. 
I wonder if we were to do a top 10 list today, right now, today, starting that project over, if those lists would look drastically different. If those lists would be like, I'll bet you those lists would be 50% or more different than they were. Oh, yeah. Like if you compared, honestly, it would be hilarious on some level to go back and do a reaction episode to like one or two of those just to be like, what were things like in 2016? You know what? You know what you do? We do what we did for the very first. So when we first started doing those top 10 episodes, it was in coordination with the command zone and Jimmy would come on and Jimmy would do his countdown of the top 10 commander cards. And then we would do the top 10, like you do top 10 commander blue cards and we would do our own top 10 commander or modern blue cards and then compare how they go. We could do that same format, but we'd use the original list. Yeah. Countdown from the original list and then do, do, do modern day ones. I don't, I like, I probably want to want to figure out a model that was able to do like two colors an episode or two color combos an episode. Maybe because like, I think doing a full episode per color all over again like we never finished the two color combos i know well, and also happened. now the episodes that we do are so much more focused on like you know topical mo- like and their set reviews like we would just we wouldn't get through stuff very easily it's just an interesting it's just like an interesting conversation because yeah. i just feel like things have changed so much yeah no i agree i think it would be cool to do that yeah so like i think there's like like i haven't even mentioned like temporal master and Splend- like the miracles list Right, just miracle right, cards right. in general, yeah. like messed up <laughs> legacy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And like the like tournament, I think part of it was also the standards around Innistrad were both really popular. I think standard like um, 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 Scars of Mirrodin Innistrad standard was like super really cool with stuff like Frights where you were like reanimating uh, Elish Norns and Thragfire existed. And then this into Theros also had some really cool stuff. Just like, yeah, the worlds of these eras were like, or no, this into Ravnica, right? It was, it was, it was, it was kind of sandwiched between two other very popular moments in magic. In fact, like one of the best probably five years in magic history, right? Going from Scars of Mirrodin, like really Zendikar into Scars of Mirrodin into Innistrad into Ravnica into, into Theros into Khan's block is like a wild a wild like run that's like a pretty yeah. insane magic set run i don't think wizards has done it since then there hasn't been a hitter after hitter after heater moment since that moment did you just pivot from hitter to heater in the same phrase there i did I feel like you did i did yeah. it hit on heater after heater after heater yeah, there, there, you go. Go. <laughs> there you go there you go i don't i feel like i mean i, I don't know universal there's like uni- universal sort of appeal to certain sets and then there's ones that you know like for instance you've talked a couple times about how theros the first theros like you love I've never been a fan of the first, the first oh, well, Theros. I don't like Theros. Oh, but people do. I thought. I yeah, yeah. Theros was very, very, very popular, right? Like, I, I agree with you personally. Uh, yeah. I love, but I, I do love uh, Journey in the Next. Like, I, well, oh, I, okay. What I don't like is Aura, Aura Heroic. Yeah, right, right, right. Monstrous. That version of it, I'm not a fan of. But the standard set from that environment wasn't that bad. I liked <laughs> constellation suite they just didn't use it very much correct and that's why i like really love theros beyond death actually like i think that set's really cool if i were to pick one of these sets that's the one i would pick yeah i like like and all these cards are cool and they like are powerful but they're powerful in interesting ways i don't know i like and the graveyard's my favorite place to hang out mechanically i think the graveyard's one of the coolest places in magic and it's like a very popular space right there's a reason that flashback they kind of like joke that every mechanic is kicker yeah but like right 30 of mechanics are flashback <laughs> between I mean, like yeah. There's two flashback mechanics in this set. There's flashback and then there's the new mechanic. So like 
Disturb, yeah. Right, right. There's disturb, and then there's aftermath, and then there's uh, overgrow. Yeah, there's like so many different options for that. So, so yeah, I think I like like the power level of interest sets are insane, and I'm hoping this continues. Like, I think if this these two sets are good, it just totally cements Innistrad as the best set and the hype around it. Like people are just so stoked to yeah. like go back to it in a way that people kind of weren't for Zendikar. I mean, I didn't care like Zendikar. <laughs> Zendikar is a weird set because I think Zendikar, the first one is more popular due to it just being the first magic set. A lot of people played. Yeah. And also there was, there's the, the big factor of that, which is that we had fetch lands in standard and that was a big deal. We got new fetch lands. Like that was, it, it, it mattered to people for a lot of reasons at the time. It mattered because it was exciting. They were mm-hmm. worth money, pulled them from packs. It mattered because enemy color tends to be as popular or if not more popular than allied colors very often in terms of just people's favorites. Um, and it mattered because the value of that set long term was quite high because of the fact that you had fetch lands. Like that, I, I really think that that one factor pushed in, uh, pu- yeah, pushed the original uh, Zendikar very high in a way that I don't necessarily know that it would have otherwise. And I think there's a lot of things that just like other sets have done now, like vampires being a major supported tribe was a first thing there, right? And like, like, yeah. and, and and that was really cool. I think that's one thing we haven't really talked about Innistrad too. Is like, I wish Ixalan was like Innistrad. And, and when I say that, like, they have very similar basis of start, right? Like, it's it's uh, iconic imagery, right? Dinosaurs, pirates, etc. versus horror stuff. Like, there's a lot of content there. You have uh, loose tribal. Uh, I think they, like, were trying too hard to do five different tribes. And they were, like, not remembering how Innistrad work. I think, I wish they looked at Innistrad more when making Ixalan as, like, how we should do tribal. Not, like, try and do something a little bit different where there's, like, no removal and, like, stuff isn't grindy. But, like, more just, like, having the tribes being represented in the way that they were. Because I think Innistrad does what Ixalan failed at. Yeah. Uh, really well it like takes tribal but doesn't make the set feel too tribally and Ixalan was like oh we're gonna do dinosaur merfolk vampire and pirate tribal but then like doesn't I do think though because I remember you I remember where you and I were we were on a sales trip together when they announced Ixalan and I remember the hype that you and I had but the interesting thing about that is that it speaks to what I was talking about and it's exactly the opposite where it's just it being a set about dinosaurs, which was the, that was the excitement, right? It was like dinosaurs and pirates. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Sure. That wasn't enough to make that a good set. Just it being around those things. The design of the set, the power level of the sure. set wasn't up to snuff. So it's a good reminder that just because you have a cool theme for a set doesn't mean the set's going to work or be beloved, right? Like it takes more than that for this stuff to work. And I think that's that's the ultimate point we're making here was you could have a great vampire set. You could have a not great vampire set. They've just hit over and over again with the themes in Innistrad. Yeah, it's almost it's almost that like it didn't have a mechanical direction, right? That's, I think, the thing that Ixalan was missing. Innistrad has a really cool vibe and the graveyard as a mechanical direction. And honestly, the other contenders here, like Ravnica has a very cool thing of like the vibe of the place, like where you everyone has their guild and they like they have like each guild has their own vibe, but they also have the gold color pairs as a mechanical space. And even Theros has enchantments enchantments as as their mechanical space and then Greek mythology. And 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 Phyrexia has has like the the Mirin body horror techno future stuff and then artifacts as a mechanic. And what Ixalan was really missing was like that. And like, it, you know, Zendikar has lands like it, it almost like wanted to be a land set. Like they almost needed it to be Zendikar, too. 
and like really lean into like having a second location where land mechanics work because that makes sense right? and they already did that they almost did it anyways with the double faced explore enchantments that like on one side we're an enchantment on the other side we're a land if I think if if you if, I would say if I were going back to Ixalan I would love for them to have the double faced land cards there yeah, that's fair. I think that I think that 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 would have fit. It would have made a lot. Of, it would have made a lot of sense. Like like, yeah, like yeah, like yeah. take the Zendikar land theme. I'm fine. Zendikar is cool. We can go back there. There's a lot of other tropes of Zendikar to lean into, but I think Ixalan should be a second. Same like we have two artifact sets. We have Phyrexia and Kaladesh. I think you could have two land theme sets, and that could be Ixalan and and um, Zendikar. Zendikar. Yeah, I agree. I think that was one of the most distinctive parts of that that version of Zendikar, and I think it would have added a lot to Ixalan. But so I know, I don't, obviously, I don't oh, think. Ahead. Sorry, I don't think tribal is enough. I guess is my point because I think every plane should have some tribal mechanics, and they do, right? Like Theros has tribal stuff. You have tribal stuff on Zendikar. Like Zendikar, a big part of it is core ally, vampire, and uh, goblin and merfolk tribal. Right? They have five tribes or four tribes, and then a sliver faction. Yeah, I don't know. And Inishrod does too, right? Okay. So let's 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 do the last piece of, of for today's or the next part, unless you want to say anything else on on power level. No, I was literally gonna say, I mean, I, I think my comment is that the power level of the set, the design of the power level is perfect. It's one of the most balanced and exactly in the correct side of powerful that I think you can get in magic, which is probably why it's so popular and why I think we like it so much. But uh they've previewed a handful of cards. So I think we wanted to talk about some previews, which I think what you were getting to and Okay, so so um, the next thing we want to talk about is 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 the new set. Is we have two sets coming out: Midnight Haunt and and Crimson Vow, and then that's being followed by the Innistrad double feature, which is two is like they're taking cards from both sets and making it a co-draftable format where they're all in one pack. I think like uh, so with only the new sets, or they're reprinting the old Inzetta just cards, the old. just cards from the two new sets. So they're, oh, they're right, ba- okay. I think what they realized is. That because magic players are who we are, uh, that there was going to be a moment where we were going to start drafting the two sets together. And yep. they did. They made two decisions. One, they were like, oh, this maybe doesn't isn't good. Right. There's no way to balance this out correctly. And two, let's make money off of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so they're releasing kind of a boxes you can buy that'll be draft formatable. Uh, packs that have both sets mixed together. It's kind of like what would happen if they had a 400 card in a Strahd set. So I'm I'm really excited by that. That sounds really fun. But the first set comes out. Uh, we just got a bunch of stuff from that. We don't have a lot from Crimson Vow. As you mentioned before, what we know so far is Crimson Vow is about a vampire wedding. It's going to be much more about the vampires than this set is. Um, it probably... I think I think like from a story perspective, this set is going to deal with more of the ramifications of like Emrakul being trapped in the moon. And we know that already. Like and, and like basically the story is starting like the moon is like basically it's moving slower. And so like night is just lasting a lot longer. Emrakul's having more of an ability to slow down what the moon is doing. And therefore, like all of the monsters have more time out, right? The humans have less time where they're able to go out. Um, which is making them more powerful. Uh, Teferi is literally showing up onto the set because he's like the time wizard. So he's trying to help deal with the time of the fact that the moon is lasting longer in the sky, which is a loose explanation, but fine. <laughs> we got a bunch of mechanics revealed today. The first one is flashback is back and I can't be more excited. Classic flashback is back and it's called flashback, which, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. which is, which is, which is significant because there's pin, as you mentioned, after la- aftermath and, uh, embalm and uh, what's the other one that they did in, in Theros Beyond Death? 
uh, escape. Escape. Yeah. I mean, the, they so we've done that sort of different kinds of things coming out of the graveyard so many times on Earth. But this is traditional flashback, which is just nice. I mean, I like I will always love flashback. And it's also the most evergreen uh, graveyard set like graveyard thing, which I feel like they don't use. They get close to overusing, but they don't overuse. It's always exciting when it comes back. Right. I'd be fine if they always use it. It's yeah, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that there is a like just something so great about fly. It's like one of the things I like when playing Shadows of Renishar, when it was being previewed, I felt it was missing. In hindsight, looking back on those two sets, I like really appreciate them. I think they're also very great in their own way. But while playing them, even I was like, ah oh, man, I wish flashback was in this set. The mechanic yeah. that I liked the most in a lot of ways were those zombies that kind of had pseudo flashback attached to them or uh, Griff's boon, right? The like white mana enchantment that lets something gain flying out of the graveyard because it kind of had flashback. And so like being able to play with that type of mechanic where you can like self mill and put stuff in your graveyard so that you can cast spells from your graveyard and gain value that way is like my favorite way of playing magic and a limited format that lets you do that is is like perfection. So I'm, I'm really hyped. Yeah, I think that I think the thing you just talked about is one of the pieces probably of. So in, in, in Magic's original uh, like design, like when it first came out, that, that thing you're talking about was not a part of the game where you would you could take advantage on some level of discarding cards and your graveyard was available to you as a resource. There was a few things that they did, like the original Nether Shadow, I think, or I think it's... Yeah, there, there were some creatures that also like reanimate and uh, animate dead were like in Magic pretty from pretty early on in the in anime the, dead's own original card reanimates tempest though i mean that's like that's that's still that's still a few years in i'm well, talking like, like the original like, original there are anime dead variants like throughout that period right like they're, they're for, for sure but but even that's like you're still targeting something that got into your graveyard the original magic like the first is the first set the first two sets mm-hmm. they don't really have convenient ways for you to profit in marginal ways off of discarded cards sure so like that was the thing that happened later now it's such a it's such an understood part of the game that I think when a new player learns magic and they understand how to do it, they are so much more intrinsically aware of like getting a marginal value by looting, like like by putting a card into your graveyard or self milling. That that's not just losing a card from your hand or your deck. That's like you're seeing more things, you're getting more options, you have more play. So you're not drawing a card per se, but is it worth twenty five percent of a card to loot? Right, maybe. Right. You know? right, right, right. Well, that's that's like. Yeah, you make you feel really smart when you discard a, a flashback card. Yeah, right. Exactly. You just like you feel great. <laughs> um, so then the next mechanic that that is kind of a return, kind of isn't, is uh, daybound and nightbound. Uh, and basically, what this is is they've keyworded the werewolf mechanic from the original Innistrad set and the second one. The like, if you cast one spell a turn, if you cast no spells a turn, they flip over to nighttime because everyone's gone to sleep. And if you fill uh, cast two spells a turn they'll flip back to daybound and i think what's really interesting is because they've keyworded it they're now doing more cute stuff with uh being able to work around it uh and being able to use those words like like whenever it becomes daybound you draw a card you can now have triggered effects based on it and it's interesting how they've like it feels like someone realized that you can't be daybound or nightbound unless everyone's daybound and nightbound mm. it's something that i haven't figured out how they're going to deal with like what happens if I cast a card and it's nightbound right now. I don't think that's totally been explained to me and I'm hoping maybe the comments can walk me through that. You're essentially uh, saying that somebody figured out that if my werewolf is transforming based in the old words before we had the words daybound and nightbound, if it was transforming because I didn't play any spells, then in theory that's supposed to represent nighttime. 
but it needs to be nighttime for, for all of us. Otherwise, flavorfully, it doesn't make any sense. So I am reading there. That is the big change is uh, if it is night, uh, permanents enter the battlefield nightbound. So they do. If you cast a werewolf oh. and it's night, it will enter on its backside. So they've made That's it now. So like things stay on the right side. So they do function slightly different than older werewolves do. Um, but it is it is an interesting differentiation between what was and is now. But that doesn't retcon the old werewolves. That I, don't, I don't believe, unless we get some retcons added. So that does mean that it's unlikely we're going to get any reprints from the old uh, magic sets. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No Mare of Aberbrook in this one. Sad face. So we might get like <laughs> Governor of Aberbrook. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably if he doesn't cost two, I'll be upset. <laughs> um, though, did you see the legendary creature? Because this yes. guy's this guy's dope. This is a big like. For those who don't know, like when Wizards designed Innistrad, Commander was not a major focus. They like knew you wanted legendary creatures to lead the different tribes, and they had a mythic legendary gold card for each of them. But it wasn't such a major focus that they like made sure they had it. And they did not print a legendary red green werewolf card. There was it just didn't exist in right. the first set because there was Garrick, which kind of fit that flip card mythic space. And they just like didn't do it. And then when they got to the next set, they did Huntmaster of the Fells. And the problem is at the time, they were too worried about flip cards being difficult for people to understand and didn't want to accidentally have Huntmaster of the Fells like pl players playing one side and then the other side being on the other side. So they don't legendary rule each other out correctly. So it would be like kind of weird for a second and be confusing. So they were afraid of it. So they didn't make it legendary. Yeah, it, it is. It is funny that when you go back and you look at that set that basically the the, the big things that are missing pri primarily, I think it's uh, I think it's the legendary werewolf. And then you don't have uh, of the you know, of the two color lords, the uncommon ones that you had Diagraph Captain. You don't have a human. Yeah, there's not a <laughs> there wasn't the green white one that was like cost three or cost two or whatever. It was like that person. Humans get um, plus one plus one in vigilance or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that didn't exist either. Um, so weird. Those are the two. Those are the two I remember. So so the interesting thing about about uh, and then but then we go back, right? We go back and start and they're like, OK, everyone, don't worry. We've we have the red green legendary werewolf. We got you. And it sucked. <laughs> oh, right. It was like a stick. Maybe it was more of a plant to see play in standard, but it like literally was like it felt like it was designed by someone who had no idea how either like it wasn't good in standard. It was bad there, too. And it wasn't a good commander. And it, like it didn't tr matter tribally. It was just like a fight card that flipped. I'm like not even remembering what it did. What it is, right? <laughs> was it like a five drop or something like that? Uh, like I'm a hoping I'm hoping Marshall's putting it up. I'm, I'm looking it up now. It is Ulrich of the Crawlin Horde. Three yes, red, right. green, four, four <laughs> yeah. human werewolf legendary creature. When this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Ulrich of the Crawlin Horde, target creature gets plus. So whenever it transforms, target creature gets plus four, plus four. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast last turn, transform it. And then the other side is when this creature transforms into Ulrich Alpha, you may have it fight target, not werewolf, non-werewolf creature you don't control. Yes, I remember six. this card. I, I remember. I remember. Not only do I remember this card, but I remember reading this card, and then I remember thinking this card is garbage, and it turned out to be garbage. Uh, it's kind of when Wizards was thinking like like trying to make fight happen. Not that fight isn't still a thing that happens, but it was it was more of a like no no no. This is going to be a big thing in constructed. <laughs> and it was like no no yeah. it's not. Um, there's just better never, removal yeah, spells. It, it is interesting that fight never really 
like they wanted it to be green's removal and it like it never really caught on because it, it was not appealing I, honestly i think about fight and it like is annoying to me because when, it feels so often like the what's going to happen is i'm going to go about doing it and you're going to pump your creature in response and i'm going to get blown out like, when, when fight is bad it's terrible and when it's yeah. good it's mediocre <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. um and sometimes it's decent. Uh, so 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 like the, then then we got Ulrich of the Crawling Horde. So then this set we now have Travelar Dire Overlord, which not only is it a good commander, I think it's like just a in generally very powerful card. So uh, when Wolf or a Werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So you have all Werewolves and uh, Wolves have uh, draw a card effect, which is not irrelevant because there's a lot of Wolf tokens in Magic as well. Uh, and then. If you flip it, uh, it then flips into Tavalar, the Midnight Scourge, um, which is a 4-4 versus a 3-3, uh, and then has that same whenever a werewolf or a wolf does damage, draw a card, and then it has Kessig Wolfren on it. <laughs> so its second ability is like, like not only from a perspective of a power level, where like one of the reasons it's really good to have mana sinks on werewolves is because when it's nighttime, you don't want to cast two spells a turn. So you want stuff to spend your mana on, both to make it nighttime, and also once you're in nighttime to keep it there. But also... Castle Wolfren is like super flavorful. It's where all the werewolves come from. My name's literally in the middle of it. And uh, also still has the card draw effect that is also better because you can give a creature trample and plus X plus zero. So you're guaranteed to hit. Yeah, this is I mean, this is definitely a, a pretty serious power upgrade in terms of uh, the, the last legendary red green. And it also feels flavorfully, like you said, like it fits alongside some of the stuff that we saw in the first one. Um, this card also makes me feel like there's a decent chance that like some kind of werewolfy deck ends up being a thing, maybe, possibly. Yep. I mean, for sure it's standard, but if it keeps getting developed, it, it doesn't feel like we'd be that far from a modern version because because Mare of Aberbrook has been played in humans as the two drop before, mm -hmm. and it's quite good. So this card interacting with it, um, I think probably there is a version of that deck that'll end up working and actually being a thing. If it references wolves too, you have other cards that are interesting, like Young Wolf is a card that plays nicely in there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could definitely, you could. I mean, I don't know if a one one for one that has Undying really actually sees play, but maybe. I mean, it comes back to two two. It's like a good one drop. I mean, if you do like it that. as Jund, you can also play uh, what's it called to go infinite, uh, right? With um, um, Yogmoth. Yes, 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 yes. So like Young Wolf Yogmoth goes infinite, so you have that as an option as a sack outlet. So so there's there's cool stuff you can do there. I also just yeah, I think I think this card I think this card's like on the edge of playable anyways. Uh, I agree. Um, the next mechanic that was added uh was the, it's the last returning mechanic, uh, and that is uh investigate. Investigate is back, as shown with Secrets of the Key, which show Arlen Cord and uh Teferi trying to research what's going on with the moon but for one blue uh you can investigate and then uh excuse me for one blue you can investigate and then uh from your graveyard with flashback for three and a blue you can investigate twice yeah this card's definitely sweet um i thought it was really good right when i first saw it that was my my initial instinct but then i remembered that cracking clues cost mana sure and so i was like okay so like <laughs> i was like yeah like this is sweet like definitely it's good and then i was like flashback for four but that also means like the flashback is going to cost you eight mana to draw two cards over like a couple turns, which is, I mean, because it's split up is not so bad. The way, the way to look at this is uh, it's, it's very similar to me to think twice. I think it's worse than think twice, but I think it's really close. I think it's different enough where in some ways it's better, right? A getting a clue token is better in some ways than one blue clue token is better than three mana draw a card, right? 
like inherently because well, you like the artifact token is usable like it can be valuable later um and then two my, yeah sorry yeah, go no no go ahead sorry I, uh, I, I you. yeah and two with think twice remember there's think twice was two mana draw a card three mana draw a card from your graveyard this is three mana draw a card and then flashback get the two clo tokens and then over turns cast them draw a card two cards so you get three cards for one card the last bit that i think is also interesting is it's all segmented at instant speed that's what i was going to say that it makes sense to me when i think about this card and i compare it to other things that have existed because one of the things that magic design is very clear about and has been very clear about is that they like to design things are they like to design triggers and especially they have been designing tons of creatures and tons of permanents that are whenever you do this this happens. They've been doubling and tripling down on this the last few years. You have so many creatures that are that have prowess or something like a prowess effect, or when an artifact comes into play, this happens. And in my opinion, in my experience, that's some of my favorite types of cards. Like I adore, for instance, playing that uh, that one three for two in red. That whenever an artifact comes in, it deals one to each opponent. I've played that card for years. Um, so the idea that like. This is a spell that then I can cast as a second spell that's also going to get me artifact tokens, that's also going to draw me cards, that's also at instant speed. It's checking a lot of those boxes. It's checking the instant or sorcery box and the artifact comes into play box and the something during your opponent's turn box. Um, it, it's a lot of different things where I think Thing twice maybe is better but doesn't do all of those things it doesn't right. it doesn't accomplish the same thing the fact that like affinity can play this card or an urza deck can play this card and it's like a good card filtering effect that lets you draw in the cards you need that also is good with emery uh because you can self mill this into your graveyard that also just puts artifacts into play that trigger all the things that want to have artifacts into play is like I think good enough <laughs> like yeah. i think this card's like definitively modern playable and maybe even like very very good because like drawing three cards for one card is already good and the fact that it's so segmented at instant speed where you could just literally like cast this on turn one have a clue in your hand then just hold counter magic up and then when they don't do anything sack the clue token draw a card on turn four when they don't do anything or cryptic command them or cast this for four get two clue tokens untap keep cryptic command up if they don't do anything again sack your two clue tokens get the two like right like it, it feeds into itself in a really good mana pattern feels like the kind of really card powerful. that's gonna end up showing up like if if we're watching coverage in one year of blue white control at a high level modern tournament for watching coverage and you see like the pro player and i'm guaranteed in standard there'll be a blue white control deck that's doing exactly this but in standard in, in modern if we're watching as that pro sits there with his full grip and it's like end of turn recast this end of turn crack a clue end of turn crack another clue like that just feels like what the good players are doing that strikes mm -hmm. me so obviously as the card that's going to enable that so yeah it is probably better than we're thinking like i i i kind of want to say that of all of the cards previewed today this is the best card it's yeah, debatably. I don't I don't disagree with you. It definitely stood out to me when I read it. Um, maybe. Yeah, no, I don't think anything and anything comes like close. So beyond that, I'm really just excited for clues. I think clues one of the cooler mechanics. It's my favorite of the like different. It's like per, kind of the perfect middle point where treasures are just like now very, very much everywhere. One thing I do hope is maybe just clues could become eternal, like just bring clues back forever. I think investigate just is a mechanic that like treasures or like food should just exist. And maybe it's not called investigate, but just clues are back. Um, so that's cool. And so that's that's the end of returning mechanics. Next, we have a returning character that has one of the new mechanics, and that is Sigarda Champion of the Light. 
I'm going to read what the card does because we have audio only listeners. <laughs> uh, one green, white, white, legendary creature angel. Shout out to you guys uh, and friends. If you want to leave a review on uh, any podcast app, it is appreciated. Cigar uh, Champion Light is one green, white, white for a 4 4 flying trample legendary creature angel. Humans you control get plus one, plus one. And that has the ability Coven, which is a new mechanic. Uh, whenever Sigarda attacks, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a human creature card from among them and put it onto, put it into your hand, put the rest of the bottom of your library in, any, in a random order. Now, uh, before we get into like Sigarda, let's talk about the mechanic Coven. Basically, what Coven is, is if you have three creatures with different powers effect. It's like Metalcraft or whatever. It, it changes what that effect is. Uh, there was a coven card. One of the commanders was leaked. It was uh, there was an actual physical card accidentally in a pack from uh, the Forgotten Realms, and so we've known the coven mechanic. And I absolutely thought powers was referring to some mechanic in the set, and not the power of power and toughness on a creature. Yeah, for three months, and th- even today, reading it until someone else talked about one of these cards and what they did, I was like, oh, it's that power, not like. Honestly, I thought for a second that it was like, oh, like, is it like keywords? Is it like trample is a power? Is that what they're going to like? Is it like the party mechanic? And then, no, it's just it's just the power of creatures, which makes it significantly better because it means this is a feasible thing to happen (laughs) versus if it was like the party mechanic, which was like like humans with these keywords count or something, which is what I thought it was going to be. Uh, But here we are. Here we are with this mechanic. I think I think Sigarda. This Sigarda is very, very much feels like a standard like pushed thing, a human Lord that has flying and trample as a four, four for four, I think is like definitely meant to be it from a story perspective. It's cool. Like, do you know the story with like what Sigarda is and like how this all fits? No, I mean, I, I used to love Sigarda host of parents, the original Sigarda, and I liked the second one enough, but this one's really good. So, so Innistrad originally had four basically like goddess angels, one uh, white and another color, right? There's, there was, uh, uh, Gisela, Bruna, uh, Sigarda, and then the black white one, which was in Commander Legends, which I am not remembering the name of. Lysa, Lysa, the Shroud of Dusk, and then uh, Soren shows up, old old Walker Soren, and it was like, I want to go gallivanting around, but my dad's made a lot of really scary vampires, and then there's these werewolves, and like now there's zombies, and I don't want to deal with this, so I'm gonna make a god angel to like deal with this and so he makes avison and avin shows up sees the four like like at this point the head honcho angels and is like "Ooh, you have black mana as part of your color pie uh f you murders murders lysa and then there's the three of them and now because of the happenstance of avison restored soren killed avison or not avison restored uh because the shadows of Innistrad, soren killed avison and the other two angels smushed into one super horror monster that was terrifying so cigar is all that's left and she's now the head of what was avison's church like all of the humans like hit like a lot of the humans had a lot of their magic came directly from avison that's why you have like like Avacyn's church was to Innistrad fighting vampires the way like Christianity is the way to fighting vampires in modern day society, right? Okay, like a sure. cross kills a werewolf or a vampire. Avacyn's like little collar would do that. Sigarda's symbol, which is a heron, uh, which is like a bird uh, type of yep. thing, is now that in this Got in it. this story. And that's why okay. like all of the humans are like doing this more like harvesty witch coven situation because it's a lot more of like her type of magic, which is coveny fall-esque experiences um she's not she's 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 good but she's got some she's got some some witchy evilness in her somewhere something uh, i think witches here are definitely being like more aligned with the good guys 
Okay, got it. Got it, got it. Uh, I think I think no. She's she's like she's the good person. Like right, right. she's she's the human lord, and will be on Green their White side. Usually is that's what I, that's what I always thought. But yeah, so okay, so 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 good a good witch. Remember, because Avison wasn't evil until Nahiri showed up and made her go evil. She was sure. just like aggro, maybe like not like a little a little too uh, righteous in the like. I don't want any vampires to be alive. I would kill all of them if I could. Where like I feel like Sigard is more on the like as long as you guys are over there and don't mess with us, I won't mess with you. Is I think is I think more more of the thing. Um but so yeah, so that's that she's back. Coven's a cool mechanic. Uh, we've seen a few different versions of it. It's definitely going to be it feels a little bit of like the battle cry of this set or kind of like the mechanic I'm going to forget existed in 6 months. Unless there's some card that's really powerful oh, with it. Battle cry. That's right. I forgot about battle cry. Or like, or yeah, right. Or it's like attack with three creatures. Bonus. Like, fine. Yeah. This is oh, how. Yeah. What, what was that called? That was from. That was from like one of the Ravnica sets or something. Three the, creatures. Yeah. Artillerize yeah. or something. Wait, or? is that not battle cry? No. Isn't battle cry the plus one plus zero for each other for each other attacking creature when it attacks? Like that's what like signal pest has. No, no, but uh, signal pest is if you attack with three or more creatures, every creature gets. Yeah, yeah, it's it's when this creature attacks each other attacking. Oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, I don't Battle even Cry. remember. Battle Cry was the one you're talking about. The one that was on like the red creature, D- D- Foundry Street Denizen, and like, yeah, three or more creatures. I like can't remember what it's called now, but like, yeah, definitely. I you know combat medic or something had that on it or. Oh, I'm thinking battalion. Battalion. That it's was the battalion. One. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the it was the uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, couldn't even remember what it was called. Right. This feels like <laughs> battalion <laughs> uh, attack with three or more creatures. To do this thing. This is if you have three or more creatures with this is a lot easier to accomplish. So the benefits are going to be a lot easier to turn on. Uh, but we'll see. It definitely seems like the the the, the lower end. Um, the I think this is the last mechanic, but another mechanic revealed today. And this is one I'm really excited by is disturb. And this is, uh, you have a double-sided card. Um, you can cast one side, and it costs one and a blue. And then if it dies, and it, or if it's in your graveyard, it has a disturbed cost. And you may cast this card from your graveyard uh, transformed for its disturbed cost. So then you get the other side. So an example is uh, Bait Hook Angler, which is a human peasant. For one and a blue, uh, you make a 2-1. It has disturbed one and a blue. And then uh, from your graveyard, you can cast it, and you get a spirit, which is a 1-2 spirit uh, that, if it would be put into your graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So it's a flying 1-2 spirit for two. Um, that's kind of like the lower. Like, we got two. We got another one that was a, a zero four wall for one in a, a white. And then for uh, four in white-white, you get to bring it back, and it's a 4-4 four, four vigilance flying spirit, right? So it's, Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting about that card is that, like, it you know you've seen you've seen things uh i mean there's so many names like return dead or or i'm actually forgetting most of the names but like those creatures that when they die you can repeatedly find ways to get them back and i know this isn't quite that because obviously it comes back as a different creature and then if it dies in that context it goes away forever Mm -hmm. but those decks also are usually all about looping things returning things to hand and like so I can see a world in which you play this 2-1, you block with it, you recast it as a 1-2, and then you like do some sort of bounce it back to your hand thing, a creature that comes into play that returns it to your hand, you recast it. Especially in Limited, if there's any effects like that in the set, if there's any kind of return something to your hand when you play it, this thing is going to be a menace when it comes to combat in Limited, and I wouldn't even be shocked if there is some standard deck that takes advantage of that and is able to get lots and lots and lots of mileage out of it. Yeah, and, and I think also part of it is like... 
If anything, that was maybe the flaw of both Innistrad sets. And in, the second Innistrad tried doing it with like pseudo flashback where you have stuff like um, what's the four drop human that like comes back haunted dead. That's um, the one I was trying to remember the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where like you can bring it back. But like for us, for for a trope that is so much about creatures coming from the graveyard back to, to play there that like unearth was never an Innistrad, right? I'm actually and they like figured out a way like, oh, what's a cool way to do unearth tropes and spirits like of the four main tribes of Innistrad or five, if you include humans, six, if you include angels, three, <laughs> ah, I knew it was coming. Don't <laughs> cut that out. Leave that in <laughs> three of them. Um, three of them are. Like literally the undead, right? Like like humans die and spirits show up. Humans yeah. die and zombies happen. Humans yeah. die and become, become vampires. vampires. Yeah. And then humans become werewolves. They don't die, but like it's like humans transforming into thing. And now that we have this, I'm excited for Disturb to kind of like represent a lot of those tropes. I do think one thing that's really funny, and you we talked about this a second ago, but like I, I do I do notice this because I recently I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this. I recently watched Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Gary Oldman one from 1992, mm-hmm. um, and it's so campy and ridiculous and over the top. It's so like difficult to watch on some level because okay. it's like it, it like it, anyway. It's not a terrible movie, but it's just absurd and it's so hammy. And like what you realize about the horror genre, about vampires and werewolves, and about a lot of the stuff is that. There's a lot of uh, B movie comedy that goes into this genre that that treatment is not given to the Dominaria Lord of the Rings world. That world doesn't really have the same camp factor that this world has. Like George A. Romero's entire career is largely built off of slightly campy zombie movies. You have like what we do in the shadows as a popular entity right now. You have so many things with ghosts and like that people love to laugh about this sort of thing. So I do think that it's funny when you talk about the stuff in here. There's a there's an element to this stuff that I think people attach to beyond just uh, is this cool or not? Sure. I think it's it's, you know, Stranger Things. You mentioned it. It's like it's very nostalgic and sort of funny and cool, quirky, I guess, in a way that a lot of other stuff doesn't get to be. Yeah, I agree with that. Like you get like I mean, like the last set had 13 uh, as in the last two sets had 13 as this major number mechanic. I'd be surprised if it doesn't show up here. Um, one thing it's going to be interesting to see, like. I would pay a lot of attention to what things from the first two Innistrad blocks aren't in this set. Because I, I I would be surprised if many of them aren't in the next one. Well, so actually they they previewed a little while ago. I think I think this was or maybe this was today, but I thought this was a little bit ago. Triscadelophile, which was blue one, human wizard, one three. You have no maximum hand size. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. Yes. And for four mana, you can draw a card. So you do actually have the return of Triscadelophobia and tree of redemption and all those things. Right, right, right. You're right. I, 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 I definitely forgot, but that card definitely does exist. Yeah. So like there, it's going to be interesting to see what returns. Like for instance, I wouldn't be surprised if madness just returns in the, uh, the, the next set in the, in the vampire set. Yeah. Right? Like if we're getting flashback here, I don't know where else they'd bring madness back and that could just be the madness set. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the differences between the two sets end up being. And that could be really cool, right? Cause madness and flashback together make discard cards so valuable. So like the double feature is going to be really sweet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped. The last, the last mechanic, but before we, before we wrap up uh, the episode is decay. And this is a thing that goes on creature tokens and it's so far been featured almost exclusively on zombies. And it, it is a creature with decay. Let me bring up the token because I just want to get it correctly. The creature cannot block, 
And if it attacked this turn, you must sacrifice it at end of turn. So it's the cool idea. It, it goes into the diagraph cool territory of zombies that can't block, which is a standard piece of this, of like that design. But then it's also fragile zombies that can't block that are often going to be created as tokens, it looks like. So it's the idea that you throw your useless zombie token at them and then it dies end of turn because it's decaying. Cool, yeah. flavorful design. I'm a fan of that. Yeah, it, it, they they said um, it was either either a Mark Rosewater's preview of what's in the set or uh, I think even Aaron Forsyth might have tweeted this, that they came up with a new mechanic for tokens that lets them push them a lot more. Like they're al allowed to take make token cards that are a little bit farther along in power level than they normally would because they can make this like they don't block and they and they die if you attack with them. So they're almost like one off. Um, um, effects. So I think I think that's pretty cool. I'm I'm pretty excited um, just to see the different effects. There's also cool stuff like there's an infinite combo already uh, with uh, Wilt Helt the Rock Cleaver, two blue black zombie warrior, three three legendary creature. Uh, whenever a zombie controls dies, if it didn't have decay, create a two two black zombie creature token with decay. Uh, and then at the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice a zombie if you do draw a card. Is is uh, the the blue black commander from the commander product. Uh, and then that plus uh, the toy maker card, Doll Stitcher. Um, when you flip it, it uh, has creature tokens you control, lose all abilities, and have base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may transform Toy Factory. So if you have a sack outlet, you can just keep sacking them, right? And you have an infinite sack outlet. It's a commander product, so I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. But uh, so, yeah, there's just like cool stuff uh, with Decay that like is fun to play with. I'm, I'm excited just to see what's pushed uh, in general. Okay, so we have one last thing we need to talk about before the thing is done, before the, before the episode is done. It's a, it's a small conversation about set boosters, uh, and I just want to get your vibe on it because I know you don't know this. So for the last couple of years in set boosters, you know the, you remember the difference between set boosters and yeah, draft set, boosters or whatever? Yeah, of course, of course. I was the idiot that bought set. I, I bought draft boosters instead of set boosters for Horizons. Yeah, Right, right, right. So set boosters have... The commander precon that's associated with it sets inside, right? Like they, okay. they include those cards, and that's where you can get like full art versions of those cards and stuff like that. For the first time, this set will have commander precon cards or commander cards that don't have that like aren't standard legal in the set booster, but are also not in the commander precons. Oh, so they're exclusive commander product cards that you can't get unless you open them in a commander. Well, unless no, you open them in a set booster, they're only available in set boosters. Because yeah, I was for a second there, I was thinking Commander Legends it happens every time, but it doesn't. It only happens when it happened the one time. Yeah, so yeah. It, what it, what it means is you either open these in a, in a set of a standard set, or you don't get them. That's Correct. it. Correct. So it's there. It's their clever marketing way to cross pollinate, make Commander players buy standard boosters, and then get people who are in standard opening cards that are in Commander and feeling special and wanting to play Commander. It's that that's that's the goal. It seems like. I mean, people, yeah, people are insinuating that for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, and those cards are Curse of Obsession, which is the four red or a curse enchanted player at the beginning of enchanted player's draw step. That player draws two additional cards at the beginning of enchanted player's end step. That player discards their hand. Um, and then you have the flashback. This spell costs X less to cast this way, where X is the greatest mana value of the commander you own on the battlefield or in the command zone cards. Um, so that's that's uh, there's a cycle of those visions of ruin, visions of dominance, visions of duplicity, visions of dread, and visions of glory. And all of those will be only available in commander in, in set boosters. One cool thing is that visions of dominance uh, shows a baby Gitrog. 
It's, okay. Because it's showing a vision of its future is its idea. It's either showing a baby Gitrog or it's showing a frog who has uh, ambitions to become the next Gitrog or like looks oh. up to what it could be as the Gitrog because it's a little baby frog on a lily pad looking into like a swamp and it's reflecting itself. But instead, it's the Gitrog monster with like the arm coming out of its mouth. Ambitions of a frog. I feel. Uh, I feel that. <laughs> it's my. I. I want to protect this little. This little son with uh, everything I am. Nothing <laughs> bad should happen to this frog until it become come the get rog. Uh, um, but. Oh, that was like the drama today on Twitter was that this was happening. Uh, I know a lot of people are unhappy about it. To me, I think this is fine. I think this is better than other versions of like exclusive to location product being printed. Like I think like the BioBox promo stuff that was happening is way worse. The what's the seven mana time walk? Oh, oh, Nexus of Fate. Yeah, the Nexus of Fate situation was worse because you had like buy a box and not every box you bought comes with that type of product. Um, if like from a price perspective, the only person this hurts are people that just like buy every commander product. And so they'll always have one of every card that comes from it. That's the person that this is kind of affecting the most because otherwise these cards are going to be way cheaper than any commander exclusive product. Like these will never be as expensive as a, as a, as a uh, dockside extortionist, right? Even if no, they're that they'll good. Get, Cause they'll get opened a million times. I mean, Correct. they're just, yeah, like for sure. Set booster product is open very heavily. There's a debate on how, good of a thing that is but it's regardless that's what's happening and because of that any cards included in it are going to be worth more be more affordable than if they are just included in a commander precon well what about this question though do you you don't get it as an additional card it's still one of your it's still one of your cards in the pack or is it an additional card that replaces like the rules no no, no it's just it's an additional token. card in the pack it's an extra card yeah Okay, so you open the pack. No, 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 some no, of these no, packs. no, no. It's, it replaces your rare. If you open a pack and this is your rare, it's the rare. See, I'm a little that, that that's the situation that I probably have the biggest. But that could happen already with other commander cards. Like you right buy now, a standard set. Right now, in a set booster, if in a, if you buy a set booster, the cards from the associated commander product can show up in that slot. Let me rephrase when I say it can show up in one of the rare slots. But remember, there's like three rare slots in a commander in a set booster, right? There's like the special rare that's going to be like foil or something unique. And I think that falls into that spot. And then there's your like standard rare that's always a rare from standard. And then there's like the third thing that can be like. Got it. Okay. So like right. a more more of a flex, more of a flex spot. Okay. I, I guess I didn't even realize. I didn't realize that the corresponding commander thing was already happening. I, I missed that. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's um, why that's why if you bought like a set booster, because because the one set booster you bought was Modern Horizons where this wasn't true, right? Because there's no yeah. there is no uh, 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 corresponding corresponding commander product. commander product. But for Strixhaven, for instance, like I have a bunch of like full art random commander only commander cards. Like I have a full art of the actual commanders. If you wanted full art or foils, you had to get them from set boosters. Have set boosters made you more excited to open booster yes. packs again? Yeah. yeah. I actually really like, like, this is a, like, hot take. I really like set boosters. Yeah. That's uh, cool. I think they're, like, I like opening packs. This is my complaint with set boosters. Uh, I don't like that I'm forced to gain them as my winnings when I win a, um, uh, uh, a pre-release. Right? That sucks. Because... I want like I have a bunch of cool, including Shadows Over Innistrad packs, uh, uh, chaos boosters, and almost all of them are winnings from pre-releases from five years ago that I've just never opened. Right, right. You're holding on to them to draft. And, and so set, now set boosters will never be that. I'm just going to open them. But they're better to open, especially when there's stuff like the Mystical Archive. Yeah, included. For um, sure. So yeah, so it's it's a weird one. But all right, yeah. So that do you like set boosters? 
I do. I mean, I, I think it's I, I mean, I have. Oh, I think I've opened six total step boosters in my whole life because they only really became a thing like just before pandemic or even maybe during pandemic now that I think about it. So the one time that I would have opened a box of my open a box of draft boosters and then I opened uh, collector's boosters. So I do think the design is cool, though. I mean, I, I, I for sure feel like when you open a pack, you want to feel like you're getting something special instead of the draft problem, which is that a lot of what you open is just common regular printed chaff that you Correct. don't want. You just basically flip to the rare to see if it's good or not. There- and so, yeah. Yeah, I think there, it's a good it's a good design for that reason. There's one interesting thing, like uncommons are now worth more. Oh, interesting. There are less uncommons in set boosters than there are in regular packs because that uncommon slot is being more replaced by other kind of rarities of stuff. Hmm. So like random one shot uncommons have a higher chance of being valuable than they used to. But not across the board because there's usually not very many. There's not really very many uh, expensive uncommons in most sets. So. Uh, if a uncommon is uh, heavily playable it will be a problem that it will be more expensive now, just like across the board, right? Like got if, it, if, if uncommon see play, they are going to be worth more than they used to be. Fair enough. Like if you see an uncommon, that's going to be really good. Pick up copies early because it could become like a $20 card. Uh, speaking of which, uh, no secrets of the key is a, a common, <laughs> uh, just talking about uncommons that we maybe saw that were new today. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much. Uh, big, big shout out specifically to our patrons, uh, pinkies up to Patrick Davidson, uh, who's in the exalted tier. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And welcome to House Modern. Uh, thank you, all the other patrons. Uh, definitely make sure to check that out. You get the whole episode a week early. We recorded this on Thursday. You get it on Friday. Uh, normally record on Tuesday. You get it on Wednesday. Uh, make sure to check out every... We're skipping this week tonight uh, because of Memorial Day uh, on the whole uh, stream. Streaming. Uh, but uh, normally it's every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Uh, PST. Uh, and uh, make sure to check out uh, Battle Bosses, which is the the game that I made. It's on cast.co slash Battle Bosses. Uh, it's available. We have copies of it. We're going to be at Gen Con. We're fulfilling Kickstarter backers first. So once those get out, but you can start pre-ordering it and I'll start coming out uh, in uh, throughout October and, and, and September as, you know, it's a bunch of monsters fighting. It's Halloween. We talked about how cool monsters fighting are. Uh, so make sure to check that out. And if you're at Gen Con, I'll be there. Uh, make sure to say hi. Uh, we have a booth. Uh, you can look it up. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. And Ben, anything you want to shout out before we finalize? Uh, yeah, thanks for watching and listening to another episode. I, a lot of you guys know I'm going on tour, which I'm very excited about. You can get tickets at benbateman2021tour.com. Um, I've got my next single about to come out. And the thing this week, actually, when you're hearing this episode, that's especially cool. My co-host on Action Industries, Andrew Guy, and I did a podcast for a long time called Action Movie Anatomy. Alex was a guest on that show a few times. And it ended when the pandemic started. And we had been trying to figure out a way to replace it for a very long time. So we did. It launched this week. It's called The Best and the Worst. It's a show where we break down the best and the worst movie in a director or an actor or a franchise. We usually take like the rankings like, oh, Rotten Tomatoes says this is the best three. This is the worst three. Are they, in fact, the best and worst? We go through all kinds of fun games to figure out the ranking. It's live right now on iTunes, on Spotify, on all the different places. And it's also on YouTube. So go check that out. The best and the worst. You'll just look that up in my name. You'll find it. Um, but yeah, follow us. Give us a review. We're really excited about it. That'll be coming out. So nice. That's Congratulations. All right. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.